0: warning this episode contains adult language and adult humor since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults if you are easily offended by these types of conversations consider switching to the oboe welcome to the trumpet guru's hang podcast i'm your host jose johnson my guest for this episode is charles hargett charles is an accomplished performer but it's his knowledge of the trumpet that sets him apart as a sales manager for Canstel Musical Instruments, Charles had the opportunity to work directly with the legendary Zig Canstall and quickly developed a reputation for being a bit of a trumpet guru himself. Currently the director of sales for BAC, Best American Craftsman, Charles is a fountain of knowledge on all things trumpet, plus he's a damn funny guy. So pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin. And welcome to this week's episode of the Trumpet Guru's Hang. This week, I am joined by Mr. Charles Harget. Charles, what's shaking? Hey, man. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Hey, it is my pleasure. It has been a minute since we saw each other. I think we uh, actually, we met and had our, our first and last official hang uh, at ITG in Anaheim.
1: Yeah, and then yeah. I was surprised. I was surprised that we hadn't really met before. Although I feel like we did in Grand Rapids, maybe.
0: I was not at Grand Rapids. Okay, then maybe so it was, it was Anaheim? It was it was my doppelganger. <laughs> it was it was somebody. Yeah, it was an impostor. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, it was uh, you and me and Cromer and yeah, Cromer and, and AJ and AJ. Yeah, yeah, and we we did the uh, the beer run down. Uh, what was it Route Route One? Uh, uh one highway yeah, one we don't yeah, call it that we call it pch pch yeah pacific coast highway we're we're okay. checking out the micro brews so that was a really good time with lots of really good beer and yeah how, how small was that car oh it, it was it was almost it was almost too small for aj which is saying something So. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was it was like a clown car i mean it's like this little thing and then you see these people pop out of it so yeah well anyway so uh anyways, are you still living out in california yeah i live in whittier just east of los angeles oh awesome so i know you've uh since the last time i saw you, you've gone through a couple of different uh changes uh, in your work situation you were you're with yeah. Canstol for for a bit. And
1: yeah, I was with cancel since just after 9 11, a little after that. And then, um, I worked there for a while. Zig and I had some, some differences. We can go into that or not. There it, it were nothing professional or just personal on me. Uh, we had, a, we had, we had a good working relationship and then it came to a time when he no longer needed my services. So that's fine too. Uh, we parted ways, but, um, I'm on good terms with the family. They had me back. Uh, we, that's another story. If you want to hear a little bit about it but they had me back to play uh text, which i was just honored uh, to, to do for for him i had a lot of respect for him
0: yeah.
1: so then uh, in between i worked for shires briefly and then um back to cancel for a few months and now here at bac
0: yeah okay yeah so i i really hadn't heard of bac until i started to see it pop up on your facebook feed so uh that's look and that's why i was confused because i uh, that's that's in, in kansas city right
1: that's right. Uh, very proud of this company. Mike, I can go into it a little bit if you like, but Mike Corgan, founder and president, uh, was always a fan of Cancel and he's a fan of old uh, manufacturing and using the original techniques, trying to be as authentic as possible. So when uh, word that Cancel was for sale uh, got around, uh, he expressed interest and we started talking and we came to an agreement for the assets of the Cancel. Company that's all the mandrels, the equipment, workbenches, anything that wasn't nailed down. Just about everything except the name and the building.
0: Oh, really? Yeah,
1: that's that's kind of cool. Uh, I didn't realize that. Cool. Six rail cars and two flatbeds, and so everything's in Kansas City now. So, um, Mike, I could I should have started over and maybe done a better job telling the story. But uh, Mike is a good person to carry on the legacy of Zig. And manufacturing of uh, musical instruments in the United States.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, I, for- yeah, I can't wait to check out some some more about it. You know, it's uh, it sounds really interesting. But uh, Cancel was always, I mean, uh, I, I never personally played Cancel instruments. Oh, I know. I know. Shame on me. Uh, but a lot of my friends do or did. And, um, I mean, from what what I understood uh, from from people that you know have been in the business for a while that are that are good friends, you know, people like like Cromer, uh, Terry Walberton, uh, you know, uh, other people, you know, that that Zig had quite a reputation in the business for being um, you know pretty innovative, you know, and and coming yeah. up with some some really kind of cool concepts. He so, was uh, innovative, and he was a, a dinosaur at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's like that weird, really weird juxtaposition of, uh, you know, trying to uh, improve on the past, but still trying to keep that, that finger and that, that old school uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: legacy. And uh, yeah, hand-wrought
1: technology, you know, 18th century technology.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, 19th. Yeah, 15th, yeah, whatever. Whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um I, what what were like? Uh, I I got a chance to when we were in Anaheim. I did get a chance to go to the factory. That was kind of real. I mean, that was really really cool to to be in the factory and to to see a lot of the stuff, especially like the showroom and some of the the, the cool stuff was there in uh the, you know Zig's office. But um, yeah, you know, I'm sure that there are tons of stories that you have from your time there. Uh, stuff uh, both in terms of uh, the production. Uh, the design, the creative side, and then just the fact that you had so many amazing musicians come through there. So uh, what, what's what, a couple of the things that just kind of pop in your, your head when you start thinking about your time there? Uh,
1: so many great experiences. So um, it was in my position, it was really unique. Um, how I came to be there kind of ties into my experience and, and why I'm still enthusiastic about this after all these years uh, is I was in a completely different field. I'll give you the short version. I was playing hooky from work. I was at the cancel factory because I was a a recent comeback player and uh, I was looking for a horn. And my friend was visiting from out of town. You might know him, Larry Hart. Maybe you don't. Larry Hart in Virginia. Fabulous trumpet player. One of my favorites. Uh, But he was in from out of town. So he goes, Hey, let's go to the cancel factory. I'm like, Hey, this sounds like a great idea. So I went down there and I took a sales call. And the, uh, the there was a VP at the time. He was at with LeBlanc for many years, and uh, we could talk about uh, those companies too. He told me some stories. So if you want to get into some history, but uh, so he came out of his office. He overheard me on the phone. and said, "Hey, would you like to apply for a sales position?" So uh, I said, "Sure, sure, why not?" And it, it paid considerably less than I was used to, but the opportunities were just amazing. I was going to get to meet you know my trumpet heroes i was going to get to work at a factory that had a lot of lore and history and work for a man that was a legend at the time that i started working there he had been a legend for many years so i'm like how can i say no and and my my parents uh my mother approved by the way my family was very very um very supportive the cut and pay doesn't matter you know i was gonna be a home away from home a little bit more they were okay with all of that too so um, started working for Zig, and my very first week of work was Nam. Oh man! <laughs> I really hit the ground running. So, um, you know that's a that's a thrill right there. And from there, it was you know 15 or so years of just running and, and really having a great time. And along the way, I did meet my trumpet heroes. In my first week there, I remember he gives me a scrap of paper, phone number, call this guy, tell him his Hornsby. So I look at the paper, it says, Stan M. <laughs> All right, I'll call Stan M. <laughs> Stan Mark. You, Mark. my first day of work, I get to call Stan Mark. Corey, and Stan Boyd out, and he was really cool. We talked We, we talked for a little while, and uh, it was on my first day. And then later that week, Zig gave me another piece of scrap of paper. Here, call this guy. That one was And it says, Herb A. All right, I'm already hip to this, so I'm like... Yeah. Okay, I dialed the number, take a deep breath, and the voice at the other end of the phone, Herb Albert. I'm like, oh. And that was in my first week. So I'm still, to this day, everything that happened after that is just as thrilling as some of those things. So, yeah, I got to fanboy. I got to work with some fabulous world-class players. I, I, I couldn't even begin to name all of them. Uh, people you know and people you've never heard of that are the best player you've never heard of. Um, and every day was great. And I worked with some of the best people in the business. And I love to name names and talk about their accomplishments and where they came from. So um, it was just a great experience working at Castle. It was, but you know, I I can't say that I built anything because everything was well established when I got there. So I benefited from a lot of uh, experience and people who had come before, but I got to help guide uh, Zig and the factory into the, the 21st century as far as social media and web and uh, getting the word out there about trying to introduce people to the brand, you know? Yeah. So uh, it was a, quite a journey there.
0: Yeah. Is that your question? That was the answer. All, all, right. <laughs> all right. Let's, see. Let's
1: see. What else have I got? I got yeah, a little bit of line here. I got something here.
0: Oh, you got to got a, yes. As, as if any hang proper lubrication, you, you got to, you got to have it going on.
1: Oh, this is my work desk. I'm still set up for work. I'm still working right now. Absolutely,
0: yeah. This is, uh, this is uh, work. All
1: right. So this is a story I like to tell, and uh, so many of your listeners have probably heard it before, but it's true. It was one day. It was crunch time. It was. I was at my desk, head down. I was working hard. Um, I think we were coming up on a major trade show, and I had a lot to do. And out of the corner of my eye. I see Charlie Davis come in the door and I'm like, oh, I love Charlie Davis. I wonder what he wants. Okay. So he comes up to my desk and I'm like, I'm not going to go get any work done today. He goes, Arturo's here. And I'm just like, oh. cause I knew I wasn't going to get anything done that day. Right. So then I go out to Zig's bench and Zig is out there and he's got his glasses on and magnifying glasses. He's working on this, this French horn, he's just trying to line everything up. He's doing some fine work on it. And uh, he's he like, Arturo's here, and he goes, <laughs> <laughs> same, same thing. <laughs> so, Arturo came in, uh, and he was warm and genuine in everything you wanted Arturo to be. He was it, he was the real deal. Arturo was such a he shared stories, uh, we hung out. He played just about every instrument in the showroom. Uh, and we had a separate building at the time with about 60 or 70 horns in it. And he played every single one. Hey. And um, just went down all around, prototypes and stuff. And he would do the crazy thing. He would uh, pick up the horn. I'm not going to do it. And he'd play without a mouthpiece. He'd just pick up a horn and just start bebopping out the corner of his mouth. Unbelievable. Then uh, he's goofing around. He finds a trumpet that he likes. And, and Actually, he'd been there a number of times in the factory, but never in the showroom. So he found this horn that he liked. And then he starts bebopping, and all of a sudden he's bebopping in the pedal register. And Charlie Davis and I look at each other and we're like, and he was just bopping in the, in the pedal register. It's just amazing. I remember that day. Oh, so later we went over to my desk, and I swear, I just, I'm a fanboy. I had a bunch of stuff on my desk. My desk looks like, you know, 50 minutes, and Andy Rooney um and i had a cd on my desk and i swear it was a news or the uh what, what's that album the uh um, record
0: yeah I, I know what you're talking about because i was just listening to that yeah, track I mean, the other Sabuelos, day but it's got that song on hey, it
1: right right yeah anyway i was on my desk he goes hey man that's a good album <laughs> okay.
0: it's uh, yeah, it was okay you know you played all right on that I, uh, yeah i'll give you a couple pointers if you don't mind so so
1: meeting Arturo was kind of cool because then after that we were a little bit pals here and there, and he mm-hmm. remembered my name. For years, I was just, oh, hey, cancel guy, you know. So yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's a good, he's a good fellow. So he's uh, he's something else.
0: Yeah, yeah, bigger than life. Well, that is true. Yeah, I've met him a few times, and and yeah, he's just. Uh... He he is Arturo. <laughs> There's nothing more you can say, you know. Yeah, he is just he is Arturo. You he, uh, all that and more. Yeah, yeah, mm. that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I can just imagine. I mean, uh, just the uh, the times that I've spent at trade shows, uh, you know, and that's really kind of what inspired this uh, this podcast was. You know, not everybody has had the opportunity to to get to shows like that. Uh, and if they do it's it's a it's a completely different world when you're you know you're just one of the the mass of humanity that's there as a uh, attendee and it's it's something different when you're there in a work capacity and uh you get kind of the behind the scenes stuff and and you you're you're invited to play with all the cool kids at the hangs uh and and most people don't get that opportunity they don't, they don't get to, to know what's going on uh besides what they what they may uh you know see in other interviews and things like that. And that's why I like to keep this, this podcast real because I want people to get a, get a taste of what it's like uh, on the other side of the uh, the velvet ropes or uh, in the, the trumpet world, I guess it'd be the felt pads. So, you know, it, it's, it's cool to be able to, to have those experiences and share those. Um, so when, when you were working with the, in Canstall, um you know, you obviously got got a chance to to meet a lot of people. I mean, did you get to pick up any things from Zig in terms of uh, you know like the the manufacturing processes, the you know his uh, his approach to things, and you know kind of what made Zig Zig, or, or any things like that pop pop up with you?
1: Yeah, um, he was very deliberate in his process. But I picked up a lot of things from a lot of people. Uh, we had I could go several directions. As an example, Byron Autry would come in quite a bit. From him, I would pick up technical things, things that Zig wouldn't share, or maybe that Zig didn't know. Uh, And he would talk about the minutia that that we we trumpet mavens like to discuss. Uh, You know, the venturi and the gap, little things like that. But he would also talk about the nodal points. And that was something that Zig was really big on, were the nodal points of a horn. Where do you break, where are they? Okay, you know. And then it's all math, but it's also some art. But where are they? Then do you brace them or not brace them? You know, um, things of that nature. One thing that Zig used to do is in a design of an instrument, he would take a straight tube of the correct length. And then a the straight tube. Uh, it would be a tapered tube, mouth pipe, uh, the body of an instrument, and a bell flare. And uh, depending on if it was to be a... Conical instrument, uh, you know, it would be conical throughout, or it was a cylindrical instrument, but it'd be a straight tube. And you would buzz, and he'd tell you, "Okay, play the, you know, play this." Uh, hey, what's that word in trumpet? <laughs> play this partial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> play this partial. So I'll play, you know, or whatever, and then he'll t- feel and touch down the side, and then when he got to a point that vibrated to his liking or or whatever whatever he was feeling for, and he'd get his red marker and just put a, you know, put a mark there. And then he'd like get some math and he'd go like halfway up or a third of the way up or whatever. And he'd feel there, play it, play this partial, play that, and he'd mark it there. And then he just knew where the horn could be joined and where the tapers needed to be, where the cylindrical parts and where the conical parts needed to be. It was an involved process. And he'd done it so many times at olds. And presumably later at Bench, because he developed a lot of instruments for them too. That and con, he knew what he was doing.
0: Oh, wow, that's that's deep. That's deep. I actually was uh, recently talking with Mike Vax and he was talking about uh, his time uh, with uh Ren Shoki, you know, and the development of, of his mouthpiece and and uh, with you know trying out some of the horns and stuff there, and it was just really uh, interesting to, to hear him talk about that process. And, you know, it, it sounds like, you know, you have very, very similar kind of experiences of, of being able to watch somebody that, that, that blends the science, but also there's, there's a real art to it. And it's, and I think there there's still a few people that are craftsmen. Uh, mm. But um, I, you know, it, Mass production has taken over, it, and it's the same thing in everything, you know, it, it's too expensive to create something in the old ways, you know, it takes too much time, you can't produce as much, so you can't get it out, you can't, uh, the profit margin is a lot less, so, but that, uh, you know, for anybody who's never played uh, a handcrafted instrument, you know, oh man, they don't know what they're missing, there's just something about it.
1: Yeah, no, uh, they just sing, and they're individual they might be, in, you know, individual instruments. I was always surprised at Cancel when we would we make things about six or ten at a time in most cases. So if, uh, obviously, some instruments that were more popular, we'd get orders and we'd be making ten or twenty at a time. But usually six to ten at a time. Let's just say piccolo trumpets. That's a squirrely instrument. We'd make six of these 4 valve piccolos all at the same time, line them up, and, and these are all assembled by hand, and parts are made uh combination of uh cnc and by hand depending but uh then you put them all together and then you play them all and you would stand back and say wow they're they're all you know it's very consistent we weren't very good at that uh on most models but um and i was always surprised that other companies might not be able to do that with their highly automated processes now yamaha on the other hand they're extremely consistent and the build quality is really good if anyone's doing it um you know doing it right is right as you can do it might be those guys but i'm going to relate this now to my horticulture experience let's say in horticulture you want to buy a rose it's a gorgeous red rose um but you want one with its fragrant. well you know to get that gorgeous red rose you had to take one that was really fragrant and mess with it something has to give
0: yeah
1: okay so you want blooms that are long lasting and really fragrant and you know a big full double bloom uh that's like the unicorn that's really hard to find because when you get to that gorgeous double bloom well you've lost the fragrance or maybe you've lost a long lasting flower i'm just generalizing in brass and this is my opinion uh you know you can get to a point where you have streamlined it and and and, uh, just made it to the point where you can be extremely consistent make a really good product and make it really well every time and it plays the same across the board but maybe something had to give. Maybe it's that character. Maybe it's that fragrance of the rose. You know, maybe it's the uh, character of sound. Yeah. Those, yeah. those overtones, that little sparkle at the top, or that little individual, or that meat, that wherever you want it, you know. So I feel like the smaller companies that are making things by hand are a little bit more in tune with that and are able to do that and recreate it.
0: Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a.
1: Here's, I don't mean to say that all of Yamaha instruments. Are we talking shit yet? Uh, we, we
0: talk shit whenever you want.
1: I okay. uh, I have already gone on about what I have res- I respect for Yamaha.
0: <laughs> but after I drink this margarita. Okay, I might be- Hang on. <laughs> all
1: right, so. Okay. <laughs> I feel like on many of their instruments, not not all of them, of course not, I played some of their instruments that are like, oh, that's really good. And it has that meat that that, that those overtones that are either perfect or imperfect, whatever it is it gives, that trumpet, that individual character, and mm, uh, I played some Yamaha horns that have that. But by and large, most of their mass produced instruments just lack that, they're very sterile, in my opinion, very sterile, uh, but it, no, that's. I've been using the word sterile, but maybe I'll use vanilla. It's pretty good vanilla, but it's just vanilla. So, with handcrafted instruments that are made on a smaller scale, I think you can get more of that, more variety of color in your sound, uh, whatever you're looking for.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, think yeah, by, by, by nature, uh, I mean, because it's something that, like, in my previous profession as a, as a martial arts teacher, uh, there are systems that are very vanilla. You know, it's very, very plain. It's very, very, you know, but those are the ones that become to some degree more popular because it's more accessible to the average practitioner. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. And, and so it's like, OK, yeah, this is like really colorful. Like you're talking about the rose, colorful and fragrant. But for some people, it's, you know, it's either a not what they they want. You know, they just, you know, like a a, a high school student doesn't really want or need to play, you know, that, that level of a custom horn. Uh, mm-hmm. Or they, B, can't afford it. So it's, yeah. it's, you know, so it's, that's, I think, why the marketplace, you know, as we're dealing with this economic clusterfuck as, as it is right now, um, that having uh, having a, an economy or having a commerce that's built to meet the needs of many, uh, and not just be so specialized. I mean, as people think about uh, for their business models, you know, how they pivot, there's, uh, you know, there's two sides that you can always look at. One is uh, appeal to the masses, you know, try to try to, to uh, just you know, do that. And then the to
1: see broad is, appeal. But yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, broad appeal. And then the other is to just really niche it down. I mean, just get it like really micro, uh, dialed in micro. Because when you're in that space, then it's a lot easier to speak directly to your customer. So your messaging and everything can just be super, super direct, and you can charge a premium for it. So it's a, yeah, it's a win-win. So I don't know, but I do like bourbon. So that's what I know, and that's what I'm sticking to. All right. <laughs> uh- so you were talking about like with uh, with Zig you know, how he worked with uh, with Binge and and uh, other companies and you had mentioned as we were conversing prior to this about uh, your being a Binge insider. Uh, yeah, Binge was Binge was those one of those names. Like when I was in school, when I was in high school, Binge was like the horn du jour. Uh, so uh, what what are some of the uh, the things that that Binge brings to mind with you? My. First experience with binge
1: was, oh, I don't know, sophomore or junior in high school, and it was time to, you know, I had grown out of my my Bundy, which were made by blessing in those days, and it was a fabulous horn, and I wish I still had it. Knowing what I know now, I would not have sold it. But I was a dumbass kid, so I sold it, yeah. helped raise money for my bench. And so uh, my teacher and I and my parents went down to a store, back when music stores had Lots and lots of horns on the wall. They yeah. trotted out three or four or five models of binge. And then we decided to, on the MLP. And then they gave me like two or three to play. And I, I, I and my teacher went back and forth and we chose one. And so my first experience with Benge was that, like, well, wow, these are really great. They're very easy to play, uh, very play, you know, playable. And then my teacher, even though he was and still is a, a Conselmer artist, or certainly he's uh, highly associated with with, uh, with Bach. Uh, we've decided it was the one for me. So my experience with Benj was that. And then in my high school trumpet section, I looked up and there was two or three people up there, uh, the first, second, third chair, chair—that were just like the greatest players. There were Caroline O'Keefe, I hope you're listening. She, I don't even think she plays anymore. She has a high, big influence on my playing. She's terrific. And she could play piccolo trumpet. And she studied with Claude Gordon. And she was a, she played Benj. And I always just sold. And I was like, not only did I have one, and I had one kind of like Carolyn's, but uh, I just looked up to her. Anyway, Benj, as I read more and learned more, i heard about, it, it opened the door. It was a name different. The other kids were playing uh, Bach and Getson in, in in the section. Right. And I didn't at the time know any Bach artists or didn't know who played what. But I did know, and yet did know, that Herb Alpert played Benj. And so I just opened the door to this other world of, Popular music, and not just the concert band, jazz band literature, but um, I don't know. This Benge was it for me. And Then the sound has been in my head ever since, and uh, so it's, I've always been chasing that sound.
0: Yeah, maybe I should have. I, you know. I think you should have a little bit more. Yeah, you know, I I just I never. I could go on. I could I could finish yeah. uh, well, I, mean, I never played a band that really spoke to me. You know. Um I I, I had uh, a couple of friends who played binges and it just uh, now, of course I was I was one of those bowl in the China shop players. So it was you know a lot of air, you a were lot
1: of a meathead player. I think you were... oh then. oh yeah, I think, I think you're a smart player now.
0: Oh I, I, I had to become now. yeah, yeah, so uh, yeah, I was definitely not I was definitely meathead. I actually uh, my uh, when I got rid of my King Cleveland. How about that? I, I went to a Holton ST302. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, and since then, I, I had pretty much played just large equipment. Uh, went on to a Callet later on in the, in the, the mid 80s It's a big boy horn. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really big boy horn. We made those. Uh-huh. I, I, yep. I, I know that. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I just, I, I would love to go back and play some old benches. Just like I I, I couldn't play a Bach to save my life until I found an old Mount Vernon that just, it played so well for me. Every other Bach, it made me feel like I was blown to a straw.
1: Between something that's handmade and something that's more production made. That might be the difference. Yeah, those Mount Vernon horns do have a different character. And I think you can color, it's easier to color them than the modern the modern contemporary Stradivarius is a fine horn I find that I still can't color my sound the way I'd like to I feel it's kind of stiff I sound like I'm fl- I sound like Charles playing a Bach instead of sounding like Charles
0: yeah yeah well yeah I'm oh, I interrupted you dude. no no different different uh, that might be the difference
1: so, you, so yeah. you found a Mount Vernon that you that really spoke to you
0: out, which wasn't mine, and I wasn't gonna. It, you know belong to a friend of mine, and I certainly wasn't gonna try and buy it from him. But uh, but no, it's that it's that whole thing that that there are so many different horns, and and it's like finding what works for you, and uh, you know I I really had a lot of respect though for uh, you know the makers like uh, Band Shoki, uh, obviously Zig, um, you know people that were. I don't want to say that other manufacturers didn't take it as personally, but in a way they didn't take it as personally because it's bigger, you know, when when you're talking about a, a multinational corporation, you have and you're dealing with the, you know, bureaucracy and things like that is a completely different thing than, than when it's, you know, your name on the product and you know, you know, your reputation that that is at stake with every piece that's being Produce So I certainly had a lot of respect for, for those companies, you know, particularly yeah. in the, you know, yeah. obviously there's been changes, you know, uh, as you know, founders pass on and this question of who takes over for them, you know, where they can keep the tradition going.
1: Zig Zig always said, always said next generations never do well.
0: Well, there's a level of truth to that. I and mean, I, I think sometimes it's, it, it's, it's like sometimes things pass a generation, you know, it's like the people that were, that were being groomed for it, that they don't take it too seriously, but it's the next one. It's like the people are like, Oh shit, man. You know, you had, you had it. You had, you know, you had the golden, the goose laid, the golden egg handed to you and you, you blew it. So I'm going to pick it up and and go back to it.
1: I want to uh, say, I want to, I want to give some props to Lonnie Wagner. Over at Bach, uh, I think he is young and fresh and going to take that company in a, in a strong direction and definitely make them a more contemporary uh, and, and exciting brand. I know that they're ubiquitous, but I think that uh, they can be better. I think Lonnie's gonna do do that. He comes from a production background and now he's in the marketing end of it. I'm excited and he's young, like like we are. Yeah,
0: and, and I'm excited. not young. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I'm old. I got my AARP car, card. I there, guarantee you, I I'm
1: older than you, sir. <laughs> I <told> you, sir.
0: <laughs> you,
1: I'm going to be, I'm going to share this with you because nobody listens to this. I'm going gonna, I'm
0: gonna to be 55 this year. <laughs> I'm going to be 59 this year. <laughs> what? <laughs> I thought you were, I thought you were younger than me. Oh, no. no. Oh, no, 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 no. I just look young. So, yeah. You yeah so I uh, you know I guess one of the other things that we have in common is being like comeback players. so um, I know that's kind of a passionate subject for you like you know helping people to to get back into something that they love so much. so like if you had to give one piece of advice to comeback players I and mean, what's what's kind of the big one for you? Uh, if I
1: could give one piece of advice to a comeback
0: player <laughs> <laughs> I second that.
1: Just have fun, and I mean that. My experience as a comeback player. Can I back up a little bit and tell you why I was a comeback player? Back it up. All right. So when I was young and a a decent player, and I was working in the Sea World Beach Band, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to go to school, and I'm going to be a pro, and I'm going to do this, and then as a backup, I'll be an educator or something." So. my girlfriend at the time, it was like, well, you might as well, these are her words. You're not very good. You should get a real job. Okay. Okay. Well, wow. So um, I stopped playing trumpet for 10 years. And then I ended up in a relationship with a wonderful woman who was so supportive. And actually, this is a part of the story that makes things so um, that people can connect with sometimes. So uh, my daughter was playing trumpet in a high school band, or she became my daughter, my stepdaughter. Uh, my wife's daughter was playing trumpet, high school band. She brought her horn home and she's like, oh, Charles, if this thing doesn't work. Can you make it work? Well, yeah, let me see that. So I took it and I don't remember what it was, and I got it working. I'm, yeah, there you go. And then I go, oh wait, let me see that. And I grabbed the mouthpiece and I just played. I think. I don't remember what I played, something dumb. I think I played like my go to uh, audition piece, Contradicted by Gary I got about that far, and my wife goes, Oh, you're really good. You should start playing again. And I'm like, I don't know. And then she said, You can buy a horn. I'm like, Okay. (laughs) So. Yeah, and that's what led me to Canstall, because right around that time, my friend Larry from out of town said, hey, let's go, you know, horn shopping at Canstall. So, come back, play. Um, I ended up at a local community college that had a good, really good uh, wind ensemble program. And then uh, I was in the jazz band, and then I was in the pop rock band, and I'll, then I was playing, and I, and I was playing with people that were better than me, you know, faculty and, and, and adult players, and uh, – found that a lot of the young people were really good and i'd start learning from them that was maybe the second thing i'd like to say to a comeback player is uh play with uh as many people as you can and you're going to learn from all of them and so that was really exciting to me to be a comeback player uh and the experience of coming back to it after 10 years it was like this whole Door opened and everything came rushing back. And I didn't realize this. Is the third thing I'd like to say is you don't know what you're missing. You don't know what's not in your life until it's back in your life. Oh, and then from there, doors opened. And I was doing volunteer work with a drum and bugle corps and the brass staff. I got the job at Cancel. I ended up joining this local band called the Wise Guys. Uh, and from there, I have just done, I've just had this great adult trumpet. Hobby player experiences, it just it's amazing. I'm very lucky, yeah. and uh, I, I, I love that I came back. I'm glad that my wife was so supportive. Uh, it's great. It's been a great experience being a comeback player. So have fun. Uh, what was the second thing? Uh, learn. From, Listen to the people around you. You're yeah. going to learn something. Yeah. Ah, I forgot what the third thing was, but I, those three. Actually, the,
0: the first thing was this.
1: That's right. Hang on a second. Ah.
0: Oh my goodness! You're just like all over the place, dude. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. (laughs) Yeah, we're. uh, uh, I I will definitely be having you back for a future episode. We're already planning it. Uh, We're working on getting sponsorship uh, from uh, from some distributor of some sort. So uh, we're going to have the uh, drunken trumpet history.
1: You should hit up me and Mike. Yep. I can't make any promises. Hey, they call me Director of Sales, but uh, I can't make any promises.
0: Yeah, well, we'll do that. But yeah, uh, I was just actually uh, talking to Cromer earlier today, and and uh, he has a connection with a uh, a craft beer company, and uh, we we're going to do a Drunken Trumpet history. So, uh, oh, that's
1: great. That's a great. If you get a multiple group and bring in, I know a couple of trumpet geeks. I'm sure you do too. Uh, <laughs> mavens. I like to use the word trumpet maven.
0: Yes. Yes. That's a much better word. Much better word. Uh, no, I, I mean, I can think, think of mavens as little old ladies, but that's, that's yes, not true. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I did the same thing until I read Malcolm Gladwell. So it's like, ah, a maven. Uh, no, I mean, I, re- I definitely re- uh, resonate with what you're saying about a comeback player. I'm a comeback player myself. And, you know, it's, uh, I, I've developed a, a completely different relationship to music now than when I was younger. And, and uh, you know, I had those aspirations of being a full-time uh, musician. And I mean, I, I spent a few years on the on the road and, you know, making my living doing it and figured that it wasn't for me. Um, I definitely love playing and, and I can't see a time where I won't have music in my life again, but hey, I, I took you know like you took a pretty substantial break and i now of course now this being the age of the internet um you have access to resources that you know when when we were much younger you you didn't have that but uh, of course sometimes the the information that you're getting is not always the best or uh you know people aren't coming from uh, not everybody's coming from a really genuine place about trying to help people to come forward Yeah. One
1: of the trumpet threads, uh, groups on Facebook, uh, some young, young man had said uh, his mouthpiece was stuck and I couldn't believe the amount of bad advice people were giving him. I was, I swear to God trumpet players and pliers in the same sentence. I, it didn't make sense at all. I I couldn't tell if they were goofing on the guy, but I, I went on there and actually said, maybe we should try to, you know, we should be more responsible and give a young player better information. I agree with you 100%. We can share information on on social media and online in a way that we never could, and and this ties into um, a lot of things I learned about the trumpet community over the years. And we could have another. I learned little nuggets of things from all kinds of great players. Um, the best players in the world will share their knowledge, and Zig as a manufacturer would share his knowledge, and that's something that that is that is rare. The internet is much easier to share our knowledge, and when all the trumpet players, we have, don't have to worry about competition. We'll, we'll look at our, look at our prospects right now. Okay. But if everyone's making music, how could the world not be a better place? Yeah. You know, I'm happy to share whatever I know about this much about playing trumpet. You know,
0: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it. That's where bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, well, but, you know, there, there are two points that that just come to mind as you're saying that. The first one was what you were saying about, you know, learning from, from everybody, you know, everybody's got something that they can share. Uh, Everyone. Everyone. And it, it may not necessarily be about directly about trumpet playing, and they may not be better than you, but there's something that you are going to understand about some aspect of life that you know yeah. that you've never thought of. Oh, yeah. um, and then uh, the the second thing is that uh, a couple of my friends who are full time, you know, working pros. Uh, you know, kind of talked to them over this period of time. And a lot of them, you know, at the beginning, especially like the the uh, day, the day that the the lockdowns were announced, you know, people were panicking because, um, you know, they're like, Oh, my God, you know, I just lost, you know, $30,000 worth of income, you know, yeah. Like that, you know, it's like, you know, I had the, these many gigs lined up in the next, you know, a couple of weeks and it's gone. And I had no idea mm-hmm. when it's going to Everybody lost
1: March. You know, they right. lost the rest of February and then they lost March, then April.
0: Yeah. It's yeah in and, the, and so the tens of thousands are, of dollars. Yeah. People are freaking out. And um, but then a few of them, after they got through that uh, initial stage, they were saying how they actually were taking the time to fall in love with the trumpet all over again because you know if if you're uh if you're being booked as primarily a lead player for example you know and your job is to come in and pound out the high notes uh you know you're you're busy working on keeping maintaining those professional chops plus your gigs uh because that's what you're called to do But if you know you don't have another gig for the next six months, you can spend time working on your legit chops. You can spend time working on your jazz chops. You can spend time on other aspects of your playing that you were neglecting because of demands, the professional demands of being locked into that. I'm a jazz player. I'm a lead player. I'm, you know, whatever kind of player. So you can really start to experiment and uh, the diversity and the fullness of your practice. And I think that's an advantage that – comeback players and uh, particularly people that that play more recreationally uh semi-pro things like that where you're not depend your 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 mortgage payment isn't tied to the gigs that you're playing directly yeah you can play you can you have the advantage of being able to play for fun and just like well this is all i want to do and so you know i don't have to get much better i just have to be able to do this and i'm cool always be um, improving yeah but just you know like okay well you know i don't i don't care if i get if i'm a good classical player i just like playing r&b so i'm just gonna play in an r&b band and that's cool or you can just spend time working on the stuff that uh you know all the 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 diversity of stuff that uh that is available to you so yeah but there's no pressure i agree there's no pressure on you so yeah i mean that yeah all the
1: all the best players that uh that I follow on Facebook, I, you know, I, they're wood shedding. That's great, you know, and um, and they and, and the, the people who were formerly like, you know, the accountants, well, they can work from home. You know, the guys who can't, they can, they've got more free time on their hands now. They're checking out their equipment. What can they improve upon? But they're also wood shedding too, you know. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah, it's been an interesting time. When will we get to play together again and collaborate? You know, we can collaborate this way, but it's not the same as being you know, right there together in that same room in that chemistry that, that just boils sometimes, you know, you got to capture that. But um, yeah, a lot of, lot of guys uh, coming back. I've seen a couple of people who just started again because, well, I got all this extra time where I'm painting out dad's you know, belongings and I found this old, hey, maybe I should learn. I've seen some of that stuff too. So it's fun. It's a fun time. We can make make of it what we can. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. well, it, it's 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 all in your approach, man. You know, it's definitely all in your approach. I, I've um, taken up long tones. You're going to play long tones until the end of the lockdown, just like with, with <laughs> circular breathing. You're, you're going to play long tones for like, you know, six months. I,
1: I wasn't even doing long tones before.
0: <laughs> yeah. I just realized great.
1: I've been sitting really close to the camera. Have I been like this? Is my head really this big?
0: Uh, I've heard you had a big head, Charles. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I have an ego. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good, though. It's all good. Uh, no, but yeah, I I think that it's. I know you know this from your personal experience, uh, being in sales. That you know your biggest market isn't the pros. You know, it it oh, it's not. not it's not the Wayne Bergerons. It's not the the Arturo Sandovals. It's you know. It's the high school players, the the, the college player. Yes. It's the comeback player. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, so many of, and, and I've even seen this, so many of the boutique horns, uh, some of which will not be, you know, names will, will not be mentioned because I want to avoid any liable suits. But, uh, you know, they just, you know, it's like, OK, how can we make this really horrific horn uh, that's so overpriced, uh, you know? I want to do this because I want to sell this to dentists and I want to sell this to accountants. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not selling it to a working musician because unless you're somebody at that's at the absolute pinnacle, you don't have that kind of money. If you're the guy that's, you know, that's playing, you know, playing road gigs or playing Broadway shows or things like that, you know, you don't have fifteen twenty thousand dollars 20000 to drop on a horn, Yeah. Yeah, you
1: that's right these guys with disposable income i remember uh we used to make a heavyweight model trumpet at Canstall, the 1500 a and uh it was just it was a good horn it's really good horn uh my point is there was a fellow who was attracted by that heavyweight horn which was a i'll go ahead and say it, it was a trend at the time and uh, harrelson uh, was coming up and his horns were you know he was doing his modifications at the time and we had a heavyweight model, and there was two or three others, and then there was this company that we didn't mention. Uh, They're pretty well known for that. So this guy came in, and I honestly don't remember his day job, but he was clearly not a trumpet player for for a living. And uh, but he was a nice, nice enough fellow. But he was kind of hamming and hawing about why should we get this one because the the Monet. The other brand is <laughs> cost this much more. What am I getting? What am I getting for this much more? I'm like, I, I can't tell you that. But he really liked our horn. But he came, made a second trip one day. And he said, Well, I'm gonna go up there and see those guys. And I didn't you can edit out the thing I said earlier. Uh, I'm gonna go up there and see those guys. They ran a credit check and so I got an appointment. Something like that. I'm like, wow, man. He got they ran a credit check. So he got an appointment to go up there and consult with them on a horn. I was just like dang dude yeah. but I did see him years later he bought it and he was happy and you know he was able to pursue what he helped him get let me let me change that I'm going to say some other things uh yeah where's I think I've run out of shunts uh, damn I I can't talk shit about that company in, in that part of the North Pacific Northwest because Zig said something very Interesting and profound about I'll even name the name. He goes, I'll buy Dave Monet lunch any day. He allowed all of us to sell our horns for more money, and that's absolutely true. And Dave tapped into uh, the hobby, the adult hobby players who have disposable income. But I'm, to finish my story on this one guy who got a credit check and decided to go up there, uh, he was allowed to go up there. He was really happy, you know, and he sounded good. And he went out and did his thing, whatever it was. He was—I heard him play. He brought it in and showed it to me in the office, and I was like, what "Are you showing me this for?" But you know, it was—he made a connection to it. He was able to afford a horn like that, and David Bonnet was found a customer who could afford a horn like you know, afford that. Well, that's nothing wrong with that if you really look at it. There's nothing wrong at all that helped that player get to where he wanted to be.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, and he had the money to go whatever direction he wanted to. So well yeah, I absolutely, it's
0: not all bad. no, no I mean uh, as much as i I am opinionated about uh, uh, the dark side of of the economy and uh, you know having uh, this consumer driven economy um, you know there's there's some there's yeah, as an entrepreneur, I understand it and I have to embrace it, so it's kind of walking that balance and uh, I think that you yeah, know. Ultimately, if you're providing a service for somebody, if you're providing them something that's uh, making them happy, you know, giving them what they want, and they're willing to pay for it, go for it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't. um, I used to when I was at Cancel when we had a couple horns, we raised the price on, uh, and it went up pretty high. And I at first I was apologizing, and then I stopped apologizing for it because. They were still selling and people stopped complaining and I stopped apologizing. People accepted the the higher price. The horn had to be, you know, had to be that much better than whatever else they were looking at. Yeah. In some cases it was. Um, And you have to keep the, uh, um, I'm gonna say it now, you have to keep the American uh, manufacturing scene alive. I think, uh, this is not a commercial, but I think at BAC, and I'd say this if I was at Cancel or at Shire, what we're doing is we're making these fine, fabulous horns here in the US and it's still at a price that you can afford. So I don't, I'm not uh, uh, apologizing for the price. The, you know, the horn that I just got, and I wish I had it here to show it to you. This is not a commercial, but this is a, you can see that when you see that loop right there, it's a BAC. So anyway, mm-hmm. beautiful horns. Eh? Um, this one right here is $29.95. Yes. It, <laughs> <laughs> yes folks it sells for under three thousand dollars so you can still get your horn that's uh, a non-production horn something that's a little bit more up, upscale maybe or boutique for a, a, a reasonably good price and it keeps people uh at work it keeps our factories open and it keeps the tradition of making these horns alive
0: yeah yeah that's that's real cool yeah i know that uh you know, uh, like I said, uh, Shires, uh, you know, Steve was doing some awesome work with that. Uh, you know, I've been associated with with Walburton for for a number of years. And, you know, Terry is, yeah. you know, Terry's on the grind. He's on the grinder and he's on the grind. <laughs> you know, he's just
1: that guy. Know. He's up at five or five thirty a.m. And he goes to 11,
0: 1130
1: 11 p.m. He's nonstop. He's high energy. Uh, he's an amazing person in this business.
0: You got to interview that guy. Yeah, uh, we're trying to we're trying to find a time. That's uh, you know the hardest thing about he's doing. He's really busy. Yeah, he just he's uh, not on
1: the weekends just to relax. He's making those wood mutes. Uh, yeah,
0: or or he's building a boat, or he's. He's,
1: yeah. <laughs> he's one of the hardest working people I know. He's one of the hardest working people in the business, uh, and I'm not here to pimp his products. But I've been playing wood and mouthpieces since like oh. 1985. Okay. Uh, I believe in his products they work for real players uh, well I'm not a real player but they work for real players too anyway yeah I got a lot of respect for Terry great guy
0: yeah I mean it's yeah but there there are certainly people that that are doing I mean like Bob Reeves is still you know Bob's still going man still at still it going. yeah so it's it's nice it's nice and I just I just I'm looking forward to with, a, I'm saying this with the level of excitement as opposed to the level of fear that sometimes I feel that uh, that that some, that they're going to be there's going to be a new generation that that's going to just pick things up and just take it to the next level in, in some way, shape, or form. Um, I don't know where it's going to come from, but. You know, there, there's going to be, uh, as these guys begin to retire and wind down and uh, back off of stuff, you know, there's going to be a void. And the question is, you know, who's going to fill it? And it's going to be filled at some at some point by someone. But uh, it's going to be
1: filled with quality products and they won't all be made in the U.S. Let me stand up for Chinese manufacturing. It has come a long way. And you probably have noticed that by now. Yeah. And uh, I'm impressed with I used to see. Okay, I'm gonna. I'll. I'll we're talking shit, right? Am I having drinks? Oh, here we go. I'm not talking shit. Have a minute. We have a minute. Uh, we have a minute. Thanks. Nice. That's not a Bloody Mary. Um, that's a chilada. Chilada. You know, it's um, cheap beer, cheap Mexican beer, clamato juice, and
0: uh, celery. Oh man, that sounds disgusting.
1: No, it's It's, it's like a like a red beer you're from Pennsylvania. It's a red beer.
0: Uh, I don't is that a do Canadian
1: that. thing. It's like a Caesar. I don't do that stuff, man. It's <laughs> like a bloody Maria. You ever had a bloody Maria?
0: I've had a bloody Maria, but that's, you know, that's tequila. And tequila is a different story. So.
1: It's like a bloody Maria except with beer. <laughs> All right. Where was I?
0: <laughs> you're, you were getting ready to talk about Chinese manufacturing.
1: So when, and I could talk about, um, uh, there's a music store that uh, had a lot of uh, a local music store that it was the go-to place. Anaheim Band, and they're no longer with us now. Now they are in Music and Arts, which is too bad. Anaheim Band for a small local music store carried everything. They had Bach and they had Benj. At, at one time, they had cancel and they had Schilke on the wall. And they had, where do you go to music store and find Schilke on the wall, right? Right. And gets in and they were a local go-to pro brass oriented, but school music also. Anyway, uh, they, he came on board with Eastman Brass. Uh, Andreas Eastman, I think is what they called it in those days. And he brought it to show it to us at the, at the Canstow Factory. And so David Brown, the owner, comes in, and Zig looks at it, and I look at it, and Zig and I look at each other, and Zig does this funny thing where he would just, like, slam it on the counter. He's not hurting the horn, but it makes a noise. Boom, and he slides it across the counter. Very nice. Good luck. <laughs> and the early Eastman trumpets were not, you know, parts didn't, you know, the slides didn't fit all the way shut, and you know, it was kind of janky and scratchy on the valves, and they didn't play well. But I'm telling you, 15 years on, I'm going to say Eastman again, they have, you know, a lot of modern equipment and modern techniques, and they have people from the West showing them how to do it, people from, from Shire showing them how to do it. And darn, if they aren't making very good trumpets in China. And that has spread out. That's why I brought it up. You know, ties into talking about China. Uh, it's not just uh, Eastman, but I think they're leading the way in, in terms of how good can a Chinese instrument get? Pretty damn good. And Eastman does a good job at it. It took them years to get there. So um, there are other factories in China, lots of them, making instruments. Not all of them are good. Uh, not all of them are bad. Uh, there are some that are quite good. And so I'm, we'll quickly put in that commercial for BAC. Uh, we have some instruments that are made in China from those boutique style, the cancel of China factories, those that are just a little bit better. Anyway, um, my point is Chinese manufacturing has gotten so much better. And so we're almost at apples and apples. Almost. Uh, but you know, there it comes at a price, doesn't it? The yeah. price of the instruments goes up. As the quality goes up, the price goes up.
0: Yeah. Well I I remember like in high school uh Yamaha was not particularly a well made horn. No,
1: it was kind of laughable. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you know so and What did they, they do? It, they got better. Yeah. Yeah. They listened to their customers and they got better. Yeah. And I think that's ultimately what what any manufacturer needs to do is uh you know mm-hmm. listen to their customer and just Any of us. I mean, that's reality. That's that's living. You know, we should be always striving to make improvement. You know, how can we become a little bit better? So, all right. Well, here's what we're going to do, because, my God, I I can't believe we've already been at this for about an hour. Uh, It feels like two hours. I uh,
1: (laughs) I need another drink, (laughs) (laughs) bartender.
0: Okay, here's what we're going to do, Charles. We're going to do this portion of the show. The speed studies. This is a rapid fire round. So you better swallow. All right. Okay. so this is going to be all over the place. We'll we'll have some trumpet related stuff, but some of the stuff is going to be uh, just You never know where it's going to go. So we're going to start out with uh, a somewhat musical related question, but not really. Uh, Who's the biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player?
1: Biggest influence on my life, mm-hmm. who is not a trumpet player—that's easy. Uh, lots of lots of people. Um, my wife, uh, my parents, my kids are are big influencers on my life, and they are generally very very supportive of music and the arts. They're all artists, and from a family of artists. So, um, and that would probably be the best answer I could give. Okay. I haven't had a musician influence my life. Okay, that's interesting. What's your favorite book? Oh God, uh, you know, it's really crazy. It's dumb, uh, Dune by Frank Herbert. I love is on it. my short list. I love it, yes. The Stand, We're Living It Now by Stephen King,
0: you know. Okay, uh, what's the worst movie you've ever seen?
1: Okay, so I actually have talked about this one a lot because it was filmed right here in Whittier, California. And I'm not talking about Back to the Future, which is the greatest movie ever, am I right? Um, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. They still oh. talk, it, was, it was filmed in Whittier. The locals still talk about it. It's not the worst movie. Superman 4 is probably the worst movie.
0: I, I, uh, I'm pretty close with you on that one. When he
1: pulled out that construction vision and put the Great Wall of China back together, Really?
0: <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, you know, I think they ran it. I, hey, Superman's just not my favorite anyway. You know, the, the big Boy Scout. I'm definitely more of a Batman kind of guy. All right. Uh, if you weren't uh, involved with music, what would you want to do? Um,
1: <laughs> act in community theater? Probably. I think I would really enjoy that. Uh,
0: can you mime? Are, are you a good mime? I can
1: fake it. <laughs> I need another drink. <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, I might need some something a lot stronger. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, what's your favorite drink?
1: Uh, there's so many. I'd probably beer uh, and vodka top my list, but I don't drink that much vodka. Uh, but I do like a Bloody Mary now, and then uh, I've had so much more to drink since this thing started. Uh, my wife and I are in a couple of, uh, you know, we do the wine thing uh, every few weeks, drive up and pick up some wine. And so, uh, wine. Okay. And then um, I'm just, I like, red wines, but not just any red wine. I, I like uh, probably a, a, a nice Barbary, or uh, uh, what's the other one that I like? Mad Dog. Red, red wines. Okay. Okay. I was going to go down a list, but I've had too much of, uh of and and... Uh, are you a Boone's I'm Farm guy? Is that?
0: Are you a Boone's Farm guy?
1: No, but <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I don't even have any good stories. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've had that.
0: Uh, I think everybody that over a certain age has had Boone's Farm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Um, you could have a dinner party, and you can okay. invite any three living people to that party. Who would they be?
1: Obama, top of my list. Uh, he's so interesting and erudite, and uh, I just want to listen to him speak. Uh, I like him a lot. Two more people on my list. Gosh, um, man, there's uh, so many. It would be somebody from the entertainment side of things film, film, not movies. And uh, probably, a, a, oh, you know, I'm, oh, living or dead? Did you say living Liv- or dead? Living,
0: living. living.
1: Living. See, because I really, really, really liked Ray Bradbury and uh, had dinner with him. So, living or dead?
0: Mm. Just living. Dead so we got, we've got Obama and we've got...
1: Yeah. Just just so you know that I'm not entirely 100% consumed by politics. Uh, probably, oh, you know what? I like uh, John Meacham, presidential historian. i uh, like to have dinner with him. And him and Obama, then it would be a very really political dinner, so... And my wife could answer this for me, and she'd say, "Oh, why didn't you just say this person and this person?" You know, Herb Alpert. Uh, I'm just a big fan, and I actually, you know what? I, I could I could geek on him for a while. This guy gives away money, and he he does good. For, he's philanthropic. I love yeah. the word, and he's an artist, and his stuff is good. I'm from a family of artists. I know what art is good. You know, I know from good. I know from bad. So I like Herb and uh, Obama. And let me pick somebody else. Who did I say? John Meacham. Yeah, you said John I like, Meacham. I actually like to read a lot of nonfiction, and uh, I, he's someone who I've been. Uh, he's like next on my list.
0: Yeah. To read. Yeah, yeah. See, I, I would, I would probably want to have Obama, Trump, and uh, and uh, Costas because I, I, I would have would have to be a uh, a head to head battle royale and then Costas could do the play-by-play. So I like,
1: I like to be some Bob Costas.
0: Yeah, there you with go. women
1: without the pink eye.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, so we can have, we can have another dinner party, but this time we got the dead people. So uh, any any three people from history? Oh,
1: God. Uh, you know, this is everyone's go-to is like Abraham Lincoln, but you know, I'd, I'd probably go with like Kennedy for my on my political side. I'd like to know more about him and ask him about some stuff like, you know, Marilyn Monroe and... Uh, I said Marilyn Monroe, but I'm sure I mumbled it. Yeah. Uh, somebody else is dead. You know what? Uh, I would really, very much like to meet somebody like an even deeper historical figure, like a king or queen. And so that would be really interesting to to meet them. And then I fucking love me some Mark Twain. So then Mark Twain's coming over. Samuel Clemens.
0: Okay. Very good. Got to have some humor. If uh, I could have him and maybe Will Rogers. That would be an interesting dinner, for sure. Uh, lacquer, plated or raw? I used to subscribe
1: to silver uh, only. Just it was a personal preference. It's not a body chemistry thing. Uh, I, have, I have lacquer horns that man, I love the way they play. Raw brass, I don't like the smell.
0: They don't like you either.
1: And was, for me, it's not about the sound. I could, Zig used to say, it sounds how you want it to. Or he'd say, you know, he actually, he would say a little differently. He would say, uh, how do you want it to sound? Something like that. Cryptic, right? Yeah. But um, I've never had, I have a, a raw brass horn.
0: It's just all right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just like raw brass because, uh, you know, I don't have to worry about keeping it polished. So that's, that's right.
1: it. Do You use Meguiar's or any product to keep it uh, protected, so it doesn't have that smell.
0: Uh, no, the 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 horn cheese covers the smell of the brass. So it's it's. <laughs> 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 My horn always smells like either IPAs or bourbon. So it doesn't really matter in long run. All right. Uh, what's your favorite quote? Um. God,
1: I do I do movie quotes at home like all the time, and my family just doesn't get me. Um, so I have a favorite quote? I like something that Arthur Ashe said, and damn it if I can remember what it was. Uh, it had to do with volunteerism. I should have studied. <laughs> I do also like me some Twain, which I've already established. Mark Twain. Yes. Samuel <laughs> Clemens. Do you, know that one, do, you know, do you know that once I was yelled at by Hal Holbrook, uh, dressed as Mark
0: Twain? <laughs> you were.
1: Oh, my God. He was yelling. He yelled, That's a twofer. Right? <laughs> he, yelled at, he was dressed as Mark. He was wearing Mark Twain's bed clothing. He was wearing the long coat, the little hat that people don't wear anymore, the little, you know, night hat. Yeah. Literally yelling at me from his hotel room. As what, Mark
0: Twain. What did you do? In character.
1: Good people are trying to sleep around here. Just in the air.
0: What was this? Were you just the the, the random recipient of his his Twainisms, or or did you actually do something that? Uh, i have been might have been
1: playing trumpet at seven a.m.
0: That would do it. Out, out by the pool. <laughs> Might have been okay. <laughs> I won't ask what happened before 7 a.m. <laughs> in case the statute of limitation has not been lifted yet. Okay, what is your biggest fear?
1: Oh, god, spiders, and um, and you know, I don't want to get too political, but right now, my biggest fear is, is uh, the upcoming election. Ah,
0: uh, yeah, nervous, I'm increasingly nervous. Yeah, uh, you and many millions of others. Uh, and, and let me, I'll
1: give you an honest answer too. I, I fear, you know, I'm gonna, this is not the politically correct answer, or maybe it is. I fear for this current situation. I know we're reopening a lot of big parts of the country. I fear it is the wrong time.
0: Yeah, well, so, that is spiders. legit. Spiders. Definitely spiders. And spiders. Eight and spiders. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, You could only have one superpower. What would it be?
1: I've actually considered this and I always wanted to have super strength or supervision or whatever. It's supervision. I don't like supervision. (laughs) But hey, Kat, where you going? She's gonna knock over my bar. All right. Um, Just knowing the right thing to do in a moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And compassion.
0: That is a superpower that is missing in many people. So, um. You
1: know, when that, I have dreams that I have superpower, I can fly, but the stupidest thing, um, I can only fly straight up and straight down.
0: Well, I guess, uh, what is it? The, the Cor- Corleos effect that, uh, you know, it's the, that, that, you know, because of the rotation of the earth. So, if you flew straight up, you just have to wait, you know anywhere between a minute to 24 hours to, to get to the place you Yeah,
1: because I can yeah. only, I can just hover straight up and straight down. Does it, yeah. And, and, yeah. I don't dream of having superpowers.
0: OK. Uh, what aspect of trumpet playing do you think is most overrated?
1: Um, high notes. Uh, And you know, the competitiveness isn't there anymore. I think every, I touched on this earlier, I think that players uh, tend to share their knowledge and uh, tend to encourage others and bring them up and nurture. So it's not the competitiveness, I can't use that. A few years ago in my life, I would have said that. So high notes, uh, because no one wants to hear that unless it's musical and there's only four or five guys that can do it musically.
0: Yeah. Okay. What do you think is the most overrated or underrated? Excuse me. I did overrated. So what do you think is the most underrated aspect of trumpet playing?
1: Oh, good tone. Uh, I, we, we we know that, but younger players coming up, uh, I hope they're getting the education that we got in just have, creating a sound that starts up here, but having that sound, having something there, because if you just blow and you get that thin sound, I, I just don't like a thin sound. So. Good, good tone. It, it's underrated. It, it's more important, it's more important. Otherwise, it's not interesting to listen to. Yeah,
0: okay, cool. All right, if you really
1: were- t- Answer's too basic or too pedestrian. Yeah, no, That's is perfect.
0: This is perfect. Um, okay, so you're able to go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about music. What would it be? Um, yeah,
1: just get your ass in the practice room. <laughs> you don't have to go in a practice room. You can get in your car, you can sit in your car, you can find a spot in the garage, you can go to a park in the middle of a park. You know, you you can't tell yourself, oh, I just I can't, I've got no place to practice. There's a place to practice. And if the neighbors complain, you know what? Fuck them. There you go. You, anytime, wow. listen, anytime, this is not the alcohol talking. I've said this many times. Anytime you make music, you make the world a better place. So if someone complains about you practicing, fuck them.
0: That's a, you know, the hardest part for me was always getting past the, uh, the fear of making mistakes and having people hear me make mistakes. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think for, for a lot of people that that's saying that you don't have a space to practice is the excuse that you give. The real reason is you don't want to sound like a, jabroni <laughs> slaughtering Arben's or something like that
1: that's exactly what I sound like that's the sound that's in my head Yeah. <laughs> you know it's really funny I uh, I've been inspired I'm gonna tell you a little bit about uh, you know my, our good friend uh, you know Josh Landers don't you oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I love Josh Josh inspired me I saw him on the news he's out there playing taps every night I'm not talking on a little Facebook I saw him on Facebook live but when I started seeing him on the news I'm like holy shit people are paying attention and he was doing this night after night. I'm like, okay, I'll start doing that too. And the first couple of nights, I'm just like hiding in my backyard. I got a big backyard. I'm under all these trees, you know. I'm just like playing, and I heard someone. Well, my wife is going Woo-hoo! from, you know, I'm like, oh, it's not supposed to clap. But I heard my neighbors uh, clapping appreciably. And I wasn't doing it for them. I was doing it for people who could who couldn't clap. But um, I am shy on stage. I'm happy when I'm in the back row, and I'll play and I'll take chances all day, and I'll play. And if I play something that comes out great, you'll know it when you see my body language. I start doing this stuff, you know, and I start going, you know, and uh, and you'll see me when I'm in the back row because I like to hide back there. And I play something that's not so good. You'll see me going, "Ah, wasn't meant to be, you know. But um, I'm shy. I'm a shy player. Drummer players aren't supposed to be shy. Ours is not a shy instrument. But I'm happier way in the back. What was the question?
0: The the question was, what advice would you give yourself about younger self about music? Which you said,
1: practice Yeah, don't be more. so shy. Yeah, don't be <laughs> so shy. Have a,
0: for, uh, Have a couple drinks. Have a couple drinks before play, you
1: play, man. Maynard said, just, actually, his quote was, "Just fucking play, man." Yeah, and he
0: right. He was right. Yeah, he was. Um, what advice would you give your younger self about life?
1: Oh. um, don't be so selfish. I, I spent a lot of years thinking about me. And, um, you yeah, know, I, I found a good woman with uh, with three kids. And uh, all of a sudden, I was thinking about others. And it just changed my life, made everything better, made everything click. When I started thinking about others, it's crazy. Don't get me started. I have to get up the Kleenex, and it's across the room. So <laughs> I, I would tell myself don't think so much about yourself think about others
0: okay well that's that's great advice so um as wrap it up here uh if people wanted to find out more about what you've got going on with uh your musical endeavors uh whether it be your your performances or your uh work with bac uh what's the best way to to catch oh
1: yeah do i have anything to plug okay well uh yeah there's not much live music going on, but I play in a big band called the Wise Guys Big Band Machine out of Islos, East LA, out of Montebello, California. I'm very proud of this band. It's a bunch of kids uh, when I first started, and now we're a bunch of old, old men. I'm the oldest guy in the band by far. I'm like 10 years older than the next Cats Down. Uh, big fan of the Wise Guys Big Band Machine. And then uh, I have to talk about the company I work for, BACmusic.com. And uh, actually, no, let's not use that one. Let's use coolisbac.com. And uh, keep an eye on that website. We're, we're introducing the new bench trumpets. Uh, very, very excited about that. Uh, some of you guys, some of you guys, some, some, there was some previews of the bench trumpets at Chicago in December and Nam in January. Uh, we are very proud of these. These are going to be something else. We are bringing back that bench magic. Uh, it's there. I can feel it when I play it. John Duda, who's an original bench artisan, is making our bells and, and doing our, our, uh, all of our development on the new bench trumpets. So, yeah. plug uh, cool is yeah, Cool, John. That, didn't he used to work for uh, Collegio? Yeah. So, John, you know, many years ago, worked for Zig Kanslow, and he trained a lot of the workers that were at Kanslow up up until the end. And at some point, a few years ago, John got an opportunity to go work for Chris Clickio. So he went over and worked for Clickio, ended up owning the company and making some fabulous horns along the way. And he moved the company out to Tulsa and he brought in an investor. And there's a, a bit of a story that I don't know all the details, so I, don't, I can't share what I don't know. Uh, just wasn't working out 100%. So he kind of needed to partner up. He ended up moving, to, uh, moving in with the Marcinkiewicz folks. And then uh, just over time, John needed to make a change. He ended up uh, coming back to the Midwest and we asked him to come work for us. And now maybe I'll say some things that I want people to know that I don't think John would say I'm not allowed to share. Uh, John's health is good. He's the, uh, he's I mean, how many people listen to this? He's the uh-huh. only person on our payroll that gets his medical benefits paid. Uh, and because the amount of knowledge and the experience that he has in horn making is, is irreplaceable, shall we say. His father was Lou Duda, who worked for Elden Bench in Chicago. Followed him out here to Burbank and worked with him for many years in Burbank. And so uh, Lou Duda also worked at, um, I could be wrong on, he might have done some time at Olds. And uh, he worked with Zig for many years. So John Duda uh, is healthy and good, and he's going to be making horns for us for some time. So, awesome. Yes, he was Calicchio for many years. Those are great horns too.
0: Yeah, yeah. I used to have one. And uh, it's a great, great horn. Uh, so anyway, thank you so much for your time, my good friend. And I am looking forward to better days where we could actually uh, sit and, and talk more about this stuff. And I'm empty. So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you lined up
1: across the top of the shelf over there.
0: I I I'm looking forward to the the next uh, next show where uh, I can actually get a chance to play some of these new horns. I'm 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 excited about that. Yeah, you know, I get like a kid in a candy store when I get to shows like that, you know. So, um
1: and I never play anything. I'm just I'm shy about playing in front of my peers.
0: I I I I quit doing that. So, uh anyway, but yeah, thanks man. This has been great and um I really appreciate your time and I will let you know when we're going to have the drunken trumpet history show. And uh, you're going to be one of the first calls for that you and Cromer. And I think uh, we've got a a couple other people who, who want or on the short list for that as opposed to the short bus, which may be about the same thing. So anyway, it's been a pleasure and uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, Whoever's out there listening is a, as Charles keeps asking, how many people are listening? Uh, there are actually, I think, 10 million listeners uh, at the last count. Uh, minus... I'm getting a drink. <laughs> uh, so uh, we're, we're building a following. So if you're listening, thank you very much for listening. And please share this with your friends and uh, follow us, subscribe to us, and review us positively, of course. And we'll catch you on the next hang. So, as always, peace. Slide grease. We are out. Hey, thank you so much for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating connection through our mutual love for the trumpet life. I hope that you learned a few things about today's guest and had some laughs along the way. Don't forget to give us a review. We love those five-star ratings and please share this podcast with your friends. We want to see our hang grow for show, have a suggestion for a future topic or a guest hit me up at thetrumpetgurus at gmail.com. Our opening theme was written and performed by Lexi Signor, and all other music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. So in the words of W.C. Handy, life is like a trumpet. If you don't put anything into it, you don't get anything out. So go out there and let your trumpet sound, and I'll see you at the next hang.